the year is 1961, and Reg Spears, pictured on the photo there, is an Australian Olympic potential athlete in the UK. Uh, he's a javelin thrower, and he's injured his elbow, uh, shoulder, and he's come to the UK for specialist physiotherapy. He is hoping to represent Australia in the uh, 1964 Olympics in Tokyo. Turns out the physio didn't work. Turns out he wouldn't be able to repair his shoulder, and he's never going to be good enough to make the cut for the squad for the Olympic team. So he needs to return home. Uh, this is not the days of big sponsorship for athletes. Uh, he was self-funding himself uh, in England to get the treatment and needed to self-fund himself to get home. Uh, top that with, uh, in 10 days' time, it's his daughter's birthday, so he wants to be back in time for that. He's got a part-time job working at the airport, all places, earning enough money to get a flight to come home. But one day he gets robbed and loses all of his money. He needs to get back to Australia in time for his daughter's birthday. And uh, Reg, I've never met him, um, uh, Reg uh, is, is like Luke, he's like some of the other people here at G2, think very differently. Reg, click on the next picture Johnny, Reg literally thinks outside of the box. He's been working at the airport and he's discovered there's this thing called pay on delivery cargo. Yeah, it is what you think. He's figured out that you can send a parcel from the UK to Australia and you don't have to pay for it up front. So, Reg speaks to uh, Johnny, who he lives with. Johnny uh, is a bit of a handyman. And Reg knows that the biggest size for a pay-on-delivery cargo box is five foot by three foot by two and a half foot. So he gets his friend Johnny to make him this box uh, inside, he's got uh, loops for his arms and legs to hold on to. On the outside, he writes that it's the delivery of paint. On the two ends, he puts two very important this way up arrows, and he addresses it to a fictitious address in Australia. Inside, he's got his straps to fasten his in, he's got his bag of things he needs, he's got a pillow to rest his head, he's got two bottles of water, two tins of baked beans. Uh, and another bottle empty for the necessaries on the way. He has a boring 24-hour delay in London because of fog before his flight goes from London to Paris. In Paris, he's concerned that the French custom guards are going to try and open his box. So in a, in a quiet moment, lets himself out of the box, pours his tub of urine over the box to make it smell a bit to keep the French away. Uh, his next leg, he has, he has 24 hours in Bombay, he's so hot he has to get out of his box, strip naked and then get back into his box so he doesn't overheat. Then he finally lands in Australia the next day and he's placed in a bonding warehouse. It's a really secure warehouse where the parcel waits until it's cleared through customs and then it's released to the shipping yard. So he knows he can't get out of the bonding warehouse and he has to spend three days living on beer that he nicks from some other delivery that's been sent to somebody else. And he's teetotal, by the way. And then three days later, his parcel is 
moved to the shipping warehouse, and in the middle of the night, he lets himself out, breaks out of the window, and gets back in home for his daughter's birthday. I feel that G2 is a little bit like Red. <laughs> We're that kind of people. Uh, we like thinking literally out of the box. We like approaching things differently. Also, a bit like Reg, I think we've got a lot of vision and a lot of ideas and not the resources necessarily to go with it. So sometimes we're dreaming of things that we could do and actually, even like you just heard for Alpha, uh, we're doing it one week at a time in terms of funding it. All sorts of other thoughts and ideas of things that we might do and we're figuring out, is there a way in which we can resource that? I think we are a lot like Reg Spears in his entrepreneurship. Hopefully not in other ways. Uh, five years later, he got arrested in Sri Lanka for doing drugs. He got sentenced to death. Uh, his, he was, uh, his sentence was commuted. He spent 14 years in an Australian jail. His wife divorced him. Uh, it had a bad outcome. But the beginning of the story is really good. Let's be like the beginning of what Reg was like. As I said at the talk at the beginning of the year, I think this year will be a very strategic year for G2 and I kind of want to pick up the second half of that talk where I began to just throw out some thoughts and feelings about where we might be going as a church. I think this will be a year of strategic change. So the first one is Alpha, going big with Alpha, lots of people exploring and discovering what it means to follow Jesus on Alpha and we've got two other biggies lined up to announce further down the line. And to add suspense to this sermon, I'm not going to tell you what those other things are. But that will come uh, in due course. I thought that would be funnier when I wrote that down. I wrote in my notes funny. Uh, it obviously wasn't. So my message... <laughs> Work with me. My, West... my message today is that it's time for us to grow. It's time, firstly, for the church in our land to grow. Um, I get an unusual opportunity because of the combinations of the jobs and interests that I have. But uh, this year and last year, I've done quite a lot of lecturing uh, and speaking to church leaders or people training to be vicars or things like that about where the church might be heading. Nobody knows, but it's uh, figuring out where, where are we now and where might we be heading. And sometimes when I think about the church, I think it's a bit like that it's the best of times and the worst of times. That at the same time we're seeing incredible challenges and things happening that aren't great. And then we're also seeing incredible opportunities and things that are happening that are amazing. For example, I think uh, over the next 10 years we'll see a rapid diminishing in the number of traditional churches. Many are small, aged uh, rural combined with small and aged means financially uh, doesn't have a uh, isn't consistent. I think lots of the traditional churches, the inherited model of church, we will see a sudden and rapid change in that, and some may be caught by surprise by that. And um, we know that a third of church ministers will retire in the next decade. Just the age profile of clergy and ministers of all different denominations and types um, will, uh, will hit retirement age in some time in the next 10 years. So we'll see a massive shift in people that are, are leading and running churches. 
Uh, we're seeing massive shifts in culture. Uh, the fastest growing religious group is the group called the Nons. And the Nons are the people who tick none of the above in the religious affiliation boxes. They're the people that used to tick Christian because Granny went to church. And now their culture has shifted and they're affirming themselves as none of those. We used to talk about people who were maybe agnostic or atheist. And now we have an emerging group, the largest group, fastest growing group, who are apathetic to church. Um, this group actually is, is statistically, uh, we know they're, they're spiritual and the majority of them believe in God, but they're not looking to find God in a church. It's like living in a nation of coffee drinkers and Starbucks is empty every day because culture's shifting. Maybe they bring their coffee at home. That also is not funny. <laughs> On the positive side, I get to see a lot of people who are training to become ministers of churches. And there are incredible people coming through. The calibre of people who are training now and just starting to get involved in leading churches, some of them as church planters and innovators, is amazing. We're seeing uh, an increase in new churches starting and, and new things being tried, different kinds of church to reach people who are, that other churches don't reach. Um, and we're also seeing, uh, I work for Alpha, we see lots of people, for example, on, on Alpha that come to faith every, every year. And so we have both incredible challenges and incredible opportunities at the same time. Um, people that write books about this often draw the church um, uh, attendance as a graph. And the problem is, if you know any of your church history, you know that the church in Britain, or in any country probably, doesn't follow a straight line. It goes in seasons and in times. And the first Christians were in, in, in this country in the late the end of the 3rd century. So Christianity has a long history in this country. And there have been times of incredible growth and there have been times uh, when uh, faith has waned and waxed. I mean, one example I think I used before, um, the Church of England often measures its attendance um, most through the number of people that have Holy Communion on Easter Day. And in St Paul's Cathedral in London, one of the, one of the most famous... Um, cathedrals. In 1740, how many people do you think had communion on Easter Day? The answer is six. Just six. One of the most significant churches in London, but in the 18th century, in 1740, only six people had communion on that day. In that age, there were 10,000, it said, sex workers on the streets of London, there were um, 280 or more crimes for which you could be just you could be hanged, including petty theft. Children as young as five were sent out to, to work. Some of them sent into manual and hard labour. And that background actually stirred the church. And then from that, we get all sorts of characters like Shaftesbury and Wesley and Whitfield um, and um, uh, Wilberforce, um, Christian reformers who responded to the needs of society by calling the church to action. And I think we are at a point of transition when the church again needs to move from being a holy club where we just gather together and do what's for us and actually re-again, again, re-engages with society and discovers what, what is the role for the church in the nation 
afresh and again. And much of what we know about civilised society often was instigated through the church and through Christians, whether it was schools and hospitals and hospices and welfare, care, lots of the, the changing in law like um, uh, slavery and things like that. Uh, it was often Christian people who took the initiative to make those things happen. Now I can't tell you what exactly that means to us, except that I, I see the change coming. I've, I've, you know, I've literally gone through spreadsheets of denominations and, and dioceses and looked at the numbers, and it's, it, it doesn't take much to figure out that a massive change and shift is coming. And we need to be a bit like Reg, entrepreneurs that are thinking outside of the box, people that are, are approaching with radical uh, and uh, bold solutions. The, the second way in which I think it's time for the church to grow, time for this church to grow, is in terms of our engagement with the city. Let me read to you some uh, words from Jeremiah. I brought my glasses case and I opened it and there was um, a bar of chocolate inside, which is a metaphor. It <laughs> <laughs> is a metaphor for where my life is um, at the moment. So I'll try and read Jeremiah 29. To you. Here's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah was speaking to the people of God who were in Israel. They were in captivity in Babylon. They were yearning to be set free. They were away from their home and where they wanted to be. They were, they were not in happy times. And they, uh, this is what God said to them. Uh, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those are carried into exile from Jerusalem to, ba- to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Uh, Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may have sons and daughters. Increase and multiply and do not decrease. Um, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city for which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That verse, if you know it, is the one a few verses later where it says, I know the plans that I have for you. It's a great one for a poster with a kitten on it or a you know, little bookmark that encourages you. Um, God knew the plans that he had for his people. And what he was saying to them is actually, um, I want you to dig in to where you are. And actually they were not liberated for 70 years. And that's why God said to them, I think you should get married, then you should have children, and then your children should get married, and they should have children. And then by about then, uh, the liberation will come, the promise, uh, the plans that I have for you, the plans for you to prosper and do well. And so the spiritual plans that God has for Israel, the spiritual plans that God has for a church, include the idea that we dig into a city, that we uh, were not just involved in, in our programs, but we actually see the calling on any church is to be engaged in society. From that passage we just read, it's to have a house, to have a home, if you want to, to get married, because it, as, as in, don't say these are not good times, so we won't get married yet. Just get married if you want to get married. Plant a garden. Wow, who knew that my wife the gardener was right all along? God's will for you is to plant a garden. Go home and plant a garden and God will be pleased with you. Have children if you can. 
get married first, then have children <laughs> if you can. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And then did you catch what it said at the end? Pray to the Lord, because it's when the city prospers, you prosper. And so for any church in figuring out what is our vision, what is our calling, it's part of praying for the city and seeking the prosperity of the city. It's time for us to grow as a church and to see, ask God, what is it you are calling us to do and be in this city? What are you asking us to be involved in? What works outside of our, our gatherings and our um, cell groups and things like that? What are you calling us to give ourselves to? And probably for most of us, um, the answer to that has greatest significance in the work that you do and how you approach that work. Um, it's said that probably most of us will work about 90,000 hours in our lives. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time to figure out the answer, God, what are you calling me to do? What do you want me to do at work? How are you calling me um, to be involved? Probably the impact you make, you might make a great impact within the life of this church, but you're, you have more potential to make an impact for God in, in the work that you do and how you do it. And so in, in understanding, is it time for me to grow? What do I grow into? Part of it is growing into what God has called us to do as work. Whether your work currently is studying, whether it's caring for children, whether your work is, is volunteering and helping, whether it's paid work, whether you're looking for work. That, that time that's been given to you by God is of incredible importance. And the third area in which I think it's time to grow is for us to grow as individuals. Uh, other than God, you are the most important resource in this church. We've got all the PA equipment and all the wires and all the lights and the donuts and the coffee and you know we've got nearly 70 boxes of stuff that we just have to unpack every week to put G2 on and then it all gets packed away again and stored away. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of resources that we use. But actually, other than God, you are the most important resource in this church. And your growth is the single biggest thing that will enable this church to grow and to increase and to have a bigger impact and to understand what it's called to do in the city. Let me read to you some words from the message translation, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, it says this, Don't be wishing that you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think that I'm being harder on you than others. I give the same counsel to all of the churches. He goes on. Were you Jewish at the time that God called you? Don't try and remove the evidence. Were you not Jewish at the time of your call? Don't try and become a Jew. Being a Jew isn't the point. The really important thing is obeying God's call and following his commandments wherever you are. And it's possible to, to think of all the excuses why 
the next step, the thing that God's calling you to do, the thing, the area where God's challenging you and stretching you um, isn't for now. Uh, it, it's possible to get into a mindset where we just put it off and we can sort of think, do you know what, um, if I had a better job, then I'd be able to serve God more effectively. Or once, once we've moved house, we'd be able to do that. If I had a better group of friends, then uh, maybe I'd be more released to do God. When I've done all that study that I'm going to do, if I, if I could read a few books first, if I could go on a training course, and it's, it's possible to have lots and lots of reasons why it's not time now to begin serving God. And yet actually I think it's time for all of us to grow. Because to the degree to which we grow, our church will grow in its impact and its fulfilment of what God has for us. I want to switch and end with an, um, an imaginative exercise. So you're going to discuss this in a minute, but go with me. Um, we're going to imagine something. Some of you have done this uh, in other contexts if you've been to some leadership uh, meetings. Uh, we're going to imagine that today, that this month, that this year, we all heard God's calling on our lives to grow. And that wherever we are now, we heard God speak to us about growing. And we heard the general call to step up, but it was also very specific. What, in what areas of character, what skills, what issues do you need to be done with? What, what things are holding you back? Maybe some things need to ch- change, or, or, or um, what, what are you going to make a decision or a commitment or a goal for? I want you to imagine that we did this now. Now we're going to teleport ourselves five years into the future. Okay, now if it helps, close your eyes to do this. You don't need to close your eyes for it to work. And I want you to switch on your imagination. So that we've jumped forward five years from now. And we are imagining that the thing we're talking about now has happened. It happened. It was amazing. And an amazing story through five years unfolded. So the year is... 2022, okay? So we've got a new British Parliament in this country. Michelle Obama's President of the United States. (laughs) Donald Trump is in prison. (laughs) David Beckham got his knighthood. But all those things happened. And we all committed ourselves to hear the voice of God, to grow and move into what God has called us to do. Just in your imagination, just imagine where you are. Just take them, if it helps you, just, just advance your age by five years. Just think, where will I be? What might I be doing? Let's think through some different areas. Imagine your work. What might you be doing? You've grown in God, in your work. Where did that get you to? What changed? Imagine your role in church. Might not be this church, might be another church. What's your role? How are you contributing to the common good of that church? How are your skills and talents being put to use? What did you learn growing? that enabled you to 
follow the plan that God had for you. Maybe imagine your friendships and your family. What kind of friend are you to them, to your neighbours, to the people that you know socially through work, through the clubs and activities that you have? You've grown so much in your sense of calling and following God. What's it look like? It's five years from now. I just think, in order to get there, what did you let go of? What did you need to repent of? What did you need to say, I'm not doing that now? Where did you need to grow up in maturity and leave childish ways behind? Who helped you get there? Who walked alongside you? So just hold that and we're going to talk to the person next to us. And you've only got a couple of minutes to do it. You might have a mind full of things or there might be one thing really in focus. It doesn't matter. Pick something that you're happy to talk about. And uh, maybe turn to the person next to you, front or behind, in small groups. And uh, just tell them what that story is for you. What that five-year thing was like for you. So you've got two or three minutes to, to do that. Off you go.